This podcast episode is brought to you by Iron Source. Iron Source are not a spinach-based nutrition company, as their name might suggest, but are actually a game tech company which builds technologies that help you guys take your games to the next level. The company is developing the leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. What sets IronSource apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth in a super efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue or to scale your audience smartly and ROI positively, IronSource is a perfect partner for you. We here at Deconstructor of Fun are giant fans of IronSource because it's truly a growth platform that a developer of all sizes can leverage. So we suggest that you head on over to ironsource.com, ironsrc.com, and check out the platform for yourself. Thanks. This podcast episode is also brought to you by AppsFlyer. Most of you are familiar with AppsFlyer. It's perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile, a foundation for your marketing tech stack giving you all the tools to drive marketing success. AppsFlyer allows comprehensive measurement and analytics that help you to optimize the end-to-end player journey from acquisition to retention, from ROI to LTV. In practice, this means filtering cohorts of installs and then retargeting those cohorts with personalized experience based on engagement and in-app events. AppsFlyer also offers super robust fraud protection, making sure you're not paying for bogus traffic. Playrix, Tencent, Playtika, Roblox, Square Enix, and Huge are among the many games companies that all use AppsFlyer to boost their business. Go to AppsFlyer.com and get yourself attribution data you can trust. Thanks. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're starting now. <laughs> all right, guys. Twig79. We've got the full house. We've got... Myself, we've got Mishka, we've got Adam, we've got Eric. All of us are back. And Mishka, you're going to be on more episodes now, am I right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting more active. I recorded one today, you know, nice. more twigs. Just getting into the groove, you know. Yeah, we got we got content raining down like crazy, so that's that's good. And what have you guys been up to? There was definitely a lot of chatter before the podcast, so maybe you guys can fill in the audience on what's going on. Clearly, I'm not watching enough NBA. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird. like now that you're asking, we don't even know what can we say because yeah. the pre-game, the pre-game bullshit is so valuable. So yeah. like uh, nothing. I don't know even <laughs> what can I say. That should be the paid podcast, the pre-game. But yeah. anyway, yeah. the Patreon account gets you to the bullshit part. <laughs> right. well hey let me ask you guys a question then what, what are you guys playing are you guys playing anything De- division two division two and tft my god i won my first match in tft i don't remember when we recorded last time but i think i played four weeks every day for at least at least an hour every day and it took me that long to win my first match and i had like people advising me and shit wow that game is difficult i'm probably gonna quit now <laughs> wow, you, got some, you got some resilience <laughs> i am playing an insane amount of division two though i yeah? I, just, I have been just grinding away and now add I'm me like, on you play what's hmm? that add me on you play oh for sure yeah. um and then i got into the new world uh alpha so i've been playing that i freaking love mmos i just can't get enough of these mmos but you're stuck um, to Division 2. You're not going back to, like, Destiny 2 or, I don't know. Destiny 2, I, I, I got so sick of that game. It's all the same thing. At least Division 2 mixes it up a little bit. Uh, but even then, they don't mix it up enough, yeah. in my opinion. But And then I'm in the World of Warcraft uh, alpha as well. 
So <laughs> it's like an MMO junkie, wow. dude. It's like one <laughs> thing to another. It's like Peron. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. I'm actually just picked up, uh, what was it, XCOM Chimera? The new one. That, that the was new one. Weekend. Um, I'm a, a huge of, XCOM guy. So uh, that's a piece I, I really of shit. I love XCOM. I love XCOM. I heard that thing is terrible. Well, it's a $10 game, and like the, oh. they went cheap on things like story and art, but it's XCOM. Like it's, it's, it's like a nice uh, distilled down XCOM. So you know, I, I, I have to say, I don't even know why that game exists, right? Because like how many people <laughs> actually play that game, you know? What? Like, XCOM? What? Like, they, have a full, so... they have a full team building yeah. this content like why why in this world does that exist it makes no sense to me it's for dorks like you right that just Fuck. love this stuff but it doesn't i don't know it doesn't make sense to me xcom is so great <laughs> i, I game, don't even know how to read into that you know, <laughs> adam adam does the game fuck you over like week in advance and you didn't even know it is that is, do they have the yeah same like the, the the biggest pain point always with xcom is the post-action luck right like yeah. the, you have a 17 or like 70 percent chance of killing something uh-huh. like you know if they miss then your entire squad is wiped out and then they <laughs> like, come on See, yeah that that's the whole problem <laughs> with that game to begin with right yeah it's like just uh, the fail state right and then you have to start all over I and mean, that's ugh, I but, uh, no that's why like i far prefer what is it slay the spire and um uh, into Phoenix the point to tell you what's going to happen right mm. they tell you when i when i do this thing this is definitely going to happen there's still some randomness but it's all done beforehand so you know so it yeah. becomes more of a puzzle it's good i don't like how they miss from like close quarter that 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 pisses me off like you know like when the guy like the alien is right there and yep. fucks up the shot and you're like and then that screws you over for the next week yeah all right let, let, let's get rolling guys all right, you guys are hurting my <laughs> shout out to x no, updates <laughs> There's no, there's no big news. It's all about XCOM this week. <laughs> I only have one quick update, which is that a couple of PC games are being reported to be coming to mobile. The first is Riot's Valorant, which we've been talking about quite a bit over the last couple of weeks on this podcast. And the second is Layout Technologies, the company that owns Warframe, has also suggested in a recent annual report that it may also be coming to mobile. Adam, you've got some updates? Yeah. No, to be honest, like Valorant on mobile, like, yeesh, like CSGO on mobile? <laughs> that doesn't make wow. sense. That also doesn't make sense. I, actually, I think it's Warframe rumor, could make sense, but Warframe, Warframe is pretty more complicated. Um, but like uh, the parkour, like jumping around the map? Oh, that's right. That's, yeah. right. that's right. That's right. 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 I mean, yeah, with War- Warframe is even difficult on Switch. I've been playing it on Switch and it's... It's not good. Like the, the shooting is not right, but slashing <laughs> folks is fine, but shooting is just not good. Man, it was made in 2013 and has only been built on since then. So, yeah, I mean, what they should do if they were smart is they basically just make it like Call of Duty, right? It's just a completely different title, like has nothing to do with the core skew. Certainly it's not going to be cross-platform, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, anyways, my uh, update, Magic Leap really oh, had my. a really, really rough week this week. Dun, dun, um. <laughs> Jesus, it's like a thousand people lose their job and they're accepting. This is horrible. <laughs> Dude, yeah, by the way, March, we the, were... minute they, the minute they made, they blame COVID for this, I'm just like throwing up in my mouth, right? This has nothing to do with COVID, dude. This is like the company made no sense to begin with. All right, move is it. it like Vin Diesel blaming his n- newest movie on COVID? Like what? <laughs> Why is not doing great? <laughs> Oh, he blamed his newest movie on COVID? Oh, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah, like, because like, you had to release it, whatever it is. Okay, whatever. You know? Okay, anyways, whatever, March, whatever. 
Um, <laughs> Magic Leap, if you remember, actually had some headlines because there were some rumors that they were attempting to sell, especially off the back of their poor product offering. Um, because they actually released Magic Leap back in 20, fall of 2018 um, for $2,300 for some pretty awkward looking ski goggles. Um, but they only sold about 6,000 of these things against a forecast of 100,000. Um, so very, very weak initial product offering. So Magic Leap looked like they were in a really tough position. And I think that only got worse with COVID, um, but they were already in a pretty tough position. Um, but yeah, this week Magic Leap let go of 1,000 staff, which is roughly 50% of their total workforce and they're planning to wind down its consumer business to focus on its enterprise products. Um, and they've raised more than $2 billion to date uh, from both Alphabet and Alibaba, as well as other investors. Uh, yeah, you, you go, Eric. I yeah. can tell. <laughs> no, no, I, we've talked about this before. This is basically the gaming version of WeWork, you know, like total Ponzi scheme with cool idea, but completely mismanaged um, from the get-go, I think. Um, sorry that folks lost their jobs. And again, this has nothing to do with COVID. Um, I just think this kind of was a train wreck since inception. I thought the, you know, the demo was so cool, but it was just completely unrealistic to expect that they were gonna get that kind of performance. I, I don't know if anyone's seen the demo, but the demo is basically this massive whale that jumps out of the floor in this big auditorium and splashes down. <laughs> It's like impossible, right? But when I when I, when this company was start was was kind of founded and this demo was going around, I kind of did my diligence and I talked to really smart people on AR VR type stuff, you know, people from EA and others. And basically, what they said at that time was that the power to render three D objects in real time is insane. Like you would need like a whole set, tens of thousands of dollars worth of Spark servers to actually render that in real time, and so. Then Microsoft demoed Minecraft on stage at one point, I think it was E3, and it looked incredible, but the reality that everything was pre-rendered, right? And, and the amount of the thing, the horsepower that was in the background was insane, right? And there is no such thing as a full field of view when you're actually doing this rendering because it takes so much processing power to do that. And we're just not there there, you know? And I think AR is cool, but I just think we're very, really, really far away from like an actual, you know, full 3D render in real time. You know, it's always gonna be a field of view issue and it's always gonna be just this absolute power hog, right? Um, while VR tech makes a little bit more sense because you are more focused um, and not rendering in real time. So anyway, rest in peace. I think what the problem with this situation is now is that the only way they can probably recover from this is if they have some cool tech that someone wants to buy, you know, and, and, and the engineers and the people, but I don't know if this, this company is ever going to actually manage to create well, I think I've company. got a solution for them though. If, if it's only processing power, if they could just put it all in the cloud and then stream it to their device, oh. everything would be solved. You're trolling me, right? <laughs> You're trolling me. <laughs> I'm not even going to respond to that. All right, moving on. <laughs> okay, uh, next quick update. Um, but 160,000 Nintendo accounts were actually hacked this week. So it's definitely time to change your Switch passwords. Um, yeah. Uh, also, Boston-based Disruptor Beam, uh, creators of Star Trek Timelines, have completed their transition from developer to live ops platform builder. Um, Star Trek Timelines has actually moved to Tilting Point, um, the publisher out of New York, and Disruptor Beam is now rebranded as Beamable. 
Um, Riot has acquired Hypixel Studios, the dev behind uh, an upcoming game called Hytale. It's based in Derry, Ireland. Um, Hytale is actually yet to be released Minecraft like voxel survival crafting style game, which looks like it's focusing much more on RPG elements, um, as well as like procedural generated questing. Um, but it looks very, very much in the same line as Minecraft. Um, looks to be released in 2021 after about six years of development. And this is the studio's first game. Um, I actually don't know the team, so I don't know the track record. Um, it's likely that Riot picked this up just based on the hype. Um, like the, the fan interest from the trailer was pretty high. You got like 2.5 million signups for its beta and 56 million views of its YouTube trailer. But it just seems like the Minecraft audience is hungry for a deeper experience. And I don't think Minecraft Dungeons is coming fast enough. Um, Super Data. Uh, they released their March 2020 report. Um, so note, these are estimates. So take these with a grain of salt. Um, but the top of console for the month is Animal Crossing, uh, which has had an amazing launch. Uh, Fortnite, uh, no longer actually in the top 10 on PC and has dropped to number eight on console. Oh man, Sweeney's gonna have a conniption on this thing, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, it re like they're really kind of throwing salt in the wound for Fortnite, especially if they're arguing that they're not, <laughs> not losing share as much as they are. They put that out on a press release? Yeah, Did they put that out in a press release? Uh, Superdata or, or Epic? Superdata. Superdata, yeah, this is just their, their quarterly public oh, dude, report. Dude, that's shots fired, man. Yeah. I, I want to hear the response from Epic now. Yeah. Uh, Warzone resulted in an MAU jump of 160% month over month to reach an all-time high of over 60 million MAU. So clearly they're having a lot of success with the free-to-play version. Uh, Doom Eternal has sold more than three times what 2016 Doom sold, and Half-Life Alex, the VR game we've all been waiting for, um, while hitting absolute critical success, has only sold about 860k units. So pretty modest for an AAA game, um, but is the best performing VR title. So it just kind of shows you what the peak of VR is currently. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know if I believe that one. But actually, all, all the numbers make sense to me except Doom Eternal. Like, I know Doom did extremely well in 2016, but the implied number here is just insane uh, in terms of sell, sales. So, but I, I think it's probably likely more of a shift to digital in this, in this time where historically it was probably 30 to 40% digital. Now it's probably 60 to 70. But 3X 2000, Doom 2016 is not possible it's just not as big of a franchise but it's a good game and i'm sure it's still doing better than it should given um yeah the conditions i'm not saying that word again this whole podcast just <laughs> just saying i want to give a shout out to jk he's been recording like a lot of lot of cool podcasts like i've because i've been listening Thanks, i've been on them but i've been listening so i want to you recorded ones i'm just looking at like the biggest lessons from gaming with with your is it your or jory pierso Yuri Pierso, that was a good one. You had this really interesting talk with the um, Gondola, Gondola guys. Uh, Nicholas, yeah. Yeah, after crisis, games and life in post-COVID. You went, like you said, dichotomy maybe 2,000 times. <laughs> and I thought that I had that term. <laughs> and you were just like running with it. But it was, a, it was a really good episode. And I really enjoyed the one that you uh, recorded. Was it recently with the, uh, with, from Demiurge, buying ba ba back his oh, company? Al. Al. Al, Ed, Ed, Al, that, that was a, that was a good podcast, man. 
I actually, yeah, I, I'm glad you liked it. I learned something from the social casino one. Those guys are just like oh, resident, yeah, that one's good. resident that, that's, experts. That's coming next week to the podcast. Oh, sh- <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, that's we coming. That oh, yeah. but he's he's. I, I love the uh, the younger guy. It was like super positive. He was like more Brett. my my style. Like, Brett, <laughs> Brett, yeah, yeah. I like he's that guy. That channel. guy. Those guys seem really smart about. Yeah, their Lloyd states. and Brett are awesome. So yeah, they'll be on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not trying to see you guys, so put it on podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's get started with the first article. Uh, Clash of Clans, bigger, better battle pass, the game design talk. Um, so I'm going to fuck up his name. Uh, let's see if I get through this. Um, Clash of Clans game lead, I know yours. Hey, no. I you know? What? Hey, no. Hey, no. Eno Jonas, yours? Yours. Eno Jonas. Okay, there we go. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Not a typical name. Not a typical name, by the way. So, yeah. uh, he released a game design talk on YouTube, covering out how they approach live ops and rejuvenating Clash of Clans from 2017 to today. And the title of the talk really says the Battle Pass, but the content is really about the whole approach they took from 2017 and how necessary the restructuring of the economy was to the ultimate success of that battle pass. Um, overall, it was a stellar presentation. And um, mm. Eno <laughs> clearly knows his shit. <laughs> Did I say it right that time? Yeah. <laughs> uh, of a virtual economies. Like previously working at CCP and like his, he, he also worked on Boom Beach. And I think his, his, his changes of Clash of Clans were the key reasons it grew mm. through 2019. Um, very interesting to watch, mainly because of the discussions of how to o- improve the overall economy health and minimizing high-level player churn, uh, resulting in a percentage of their active player base being uh, Town Hall 11 plus, going from about 12% to 35%. Uh, key points for me was the changes that they made to their economy um, to make that like Town Hall 11 plus more engaging for the top-tier players. So looking at how their exponential uh, uh, growth curves, economy curves, translated into an unacceptable level of playing needed in order to actually reach further levels. The economy just wasn't scaling properly and it was requiring too much of the players. So they were actually getting into a deflation problem instead of an inflation problem. And reducing the steepness of the curve uh, is what they attempted to do starting from about the mid game and likely shifting from that exponential curve to say more linear curve by the late game. And while adding valuable content for Town Hall 12 Plus meant that there was actually a compelling reason for top tier players to actually keep playing. So they talked about the new content that they added, um, as well as introduction of new currencies and consumables as reward types to avoid to avoid the inflation and create actually compelling rewards at that that uh, that tier. Um, some of the stuff is no brainers for Forex and Build and Battle folks, right? Like adding new progression tracks, new currency types are all necessary to actually compete and extend existing progression tracks, like to actually, to, to actually compete at this level, right? Um, it's imperative to actually sustaining your top tier players, which really are your top spending players. Um, however, when you actually like look at this overall approach, right, you can actually see the stark differences between like how almost two ends of the spectrum operate between Supercell and a company like Machine Zone. Um, Machine Zone leaned into inflation by over-merchandising their economy, and that really resulted in a content treadmill, which continually extended that chase and boosted up earlier players, invalidating almost earlier progression. Uh, presented with similar problems, Machine Zone actually crashed and burned, versus Clash of Clans actually continues to thrive. So, uh, highly recommend this talk. 
uh, Mishkin. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do agree. It was a it was a really good talk, and and I've shared it to multiple people, and people shared it back to me. It was kind of going through the loop. So, uh, amazing talk from Ano, and and most importantly, amazing work. Uh, Clash of Clans is is crazy successful still since two thousand twelve. Um, what was interesting in his talk, it was, I think it was more about problem solving in uh, in a in sort of a, like a game economy rather than than battle pass itself. Uh, he talked about, you know, things that we all know from playing Clash of Clans, the super grindy economy, um, the kind of a repetitiveness of it. Like if you really consider there's not a lot of new things that have changed the gameplay. Of course, the uh, the, the new builder base and, and um, you know, that's kind of like the biggest ones and the new characters are always changing new troops. And then the one thing that always persisted in Clash of Clans and various features that the game had is the players kind of, playing the system where you don't want to progress further because you get you in you basically get to the next level where you're the lowest at your new level and everybody kicks the shit out of you so that was that was the kind of problems that they were they were solving uh and i really like the part in that talk is is you mentioned machine zone and machine zone is the type of company that needs to release new games under new names because players hate machine zone that's not a you know that's not a a foundation of a successful business and and in supercell's case you know it was great to see that they really made choices that were very player focused like decrease decreasing the cost in the economy increasing the input of of resources in the economy that allowed players to progress further and and that that you know and that resulted in positive results so that's that's awesome but um but that was always a but so i went in and kind of started looking at the numbers of, of how you know clash of clans versus clash royale and I looked at those two games, not because of they're the same franchise, but basically because um, because they both released uh, their battle passes at the same time. Well, not, not quite. Uh, Clash of Clans was May in 2019, and Clash Royale was in July of 2019. So a little, little over than a month. Uh, Clash of Clans in, you know, immediately peaked at, at 57, around 57 million of net revenue, so almost 60. 60 million in net revenue in June, so the following month, and the revenues were up 24%. Uh, Clash Royale peaked, uh, actually increased their revenues by 30% following the, uh, the, the release of Gold Pass. But since then, if you look at the Clash of Clans run rate, and you know, I only have the Sensor Tower data to, to rely on, the, the game's revenue have declined steadily and quite rapidly to, uh, to a point where they were lower than before the Gold Pass. And what really, in a way, saved the year for, for Clash of Clans was the introduction of Town Hall 13, uh, which, which Aino talked about. Uh, and that, you know, that, first of all, it brought monster revenues. I mean, the revenues peaked at 78 million in December, net revenues alone. That's, that's insanity. But it also added a lot of new things to the game. And, and that, I think that's really what reinvigorated it more than, than the Battle Pass. And, and if you look at Clash of Clans today, the revenues are pretty much the same as they were before they introduced the Gold Pass. Um, and when you compare Clash of Clans to Clash Royale, so both had their Gold Passes introduced almost at the same time, uh, Clash Royale is about a year after the introduction of the Gold Pass, you know, 15% lower than it was before that Gold Pass was introduced on a monthly run rate. And um, Clash of Clans is pretty much stable. So my key takeaway from it is, of course, this doesn't take anything away from Ana's talk. It's, it's absolutely superb. And, and he's, he's you know, one of the best designers in the world. Um, but 
if looking this in in the light of numbers, and if we're only looking at you know how good the battle pass is, and of course in Ano's presentation it was shown as the um, Thanos. What's the character? The the with the glove that you know kills everybody in Avengers. Thanos. Thanos? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Thanos. Yeah. He. It was shown kind of like the last piece, last stone in Thanos' um, glove. Uh, you know, but but in the in the light of the numbers, it it just doesn't you know it doesn't look like it. it it's it. it you can you can pull in design home and and show that they they're on a much more upward trajectory after releasing my home feature than clash of clans after re releasing battle pass so uh fantastic presentation uh, i'm sure it's it's done great things for the engagement and it's really really difficult to keep these type of games um that successful and it doesn't take anything away from the success of these games they're making like 20 and 40 million net revenue uh, a month which is absolutely fantastic but looking at the numbers the tra trajectory of the game did not change post introduction of gold pass that's that's my takeaway yeah i mean definitely agree with you guys that it was a great talk thanks for sharing mishka i actually watched it because you shared it but I just want to say I hope this is the beginning of more videos from Supercell. When you go to their YouTube channel, you see that they've got four videos in their How We Make Stuff and seven videos total in their GD GDC Talks playlist. So I'm hoping that they are a little bit more public, a little bit more open about more of the development side, not just in terms of the game-facing stuff. And I do think some pretty cool statistics about their Gold Pass is that uh, in terms of monthly payers, those monthly payers uh, increased by 4x and 70%, you had 70% repeat monthly purchases. But as you just mentioned, Mishka, in, in terms of like the uh, revenue increase, yeah. I actually thought that gold, you know, gold Pass actually increased the revenue. I'll probably have to take another look at that. But I think the bigger thing that we're talking about is trying to build a broad and healthy economy. So basically, the reason why the monetization uh, in, in terms of the number of payers increased but the overall revenue didn't increase as much is because they're trying to build what they call a broad and healthy economy. They feel like lowering the average spend is actually better for their players. And for me, this is also a very important talk in, in the sense that it's got a lot of current relevancy because I believe that, and I've spoken about this a few times in previous podcasts and other content, is that you know, assuming we do move more into a recessionary or potentially depressionary environment, that essentially, I believe, so my hypothesis is that high well payment behavior will actually start to go down in that we're going to be in a situation that favors lower ARPU-PU and higher conversion moving forward. And so this is one path to that. And Battle Pass is, it's a form of price discrimination. And so I think from that perspective, it's, it's a great talk to give yourself a framework of how you think about your economy, how you think about your players, and then try to figure out how you optimize given you know, the environment that we're kind of heading into. I think that's an interesting point, by the way, that you made, because um, think about, you know, introduction of these type of features, you're always expecting to make more money. But basically what you're saying is, and what, what, and what you kind of drew away from that is, you're just changing the, um, well, the payment profile. almost like, yeah, the payment profile, exactly. So it's, it's just, less money from more people rather than more money from from less people which is fascinating and i know you've been talking about the depression and recession probably more than suford so, <laughs> so <laughs> anyway I, but, but i'm not sure if that's that actually says that right 
yeah, yeah, like Eric, you called Seifert kind of like pessimistic, <laughs> but actually, I, I'm on some shared things with him. He's I I feel like he's more optimistic, and I'm the, I'm the more like well, I, I, you know. there's a disconnect between what his articles are saying and kind of what he's <laughs> saying to people out outside of the articles. I don't know. I it's almost like he's got a short on the market or something. Yeah. He wants. To, I don't know. <laughs> no, what I, he's I mean, doing. I I read that because after you were calling his article doom and gloom, I went back and read it. it I don't know. Maybe I just. I, I art, but the, no, but the article made no sense. That's what I was trying to say. What article yeah. are you talking about? Yeah, because he was bringing up points like comparing video games to Tiffany's, right? This, well, I, I think what he was saying is that in a recessionary or depressionary environment, that you should view IAPs as luxury goods instead no. of substitute no, I, goods. But I disagree. That doesn't make sense. That, that, well, can I, we give I, Adam? I, can we give Adam the floor? Because he was talking about actually about this article. And <laughs> where where are we now? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, listeners on the podcast I, are like, "What the hell?" Well, I, <laughs> like, I actually, what? well, just just to like close the loop on that, I actually think that's a good way of thinking about it. But the only nuance I would add there is that. I would view will payment behavior as a luxury good and some things like these battle passes is more of a substitute good. That, mm -hmm. that's, mm -hmm. But otherwise, I, I think it's, I actually Look, like that. Let me just, uh, here's my thinking on the battle pass. And I think I've said this before is like, I do think that it is actually a great mechanism by which you can convert more players, right? And if that actually happens and you see the evidence that conversion is happening and and and, and at higher levels than the, the whale economies that we see in in all games, basically, for the most part, um, then that's great. But I just don't think you can rely upon Battle Pass in that way. I think, I don't, I, I haven't seen the evidence that, that that you are improving conversion. Um, well, it's right here. No, 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 before, no it definitely converts. conversion. And every, every Battle Pass that I've seen data to, the conversion increases a lot. But the problem though, is that when you do sell a battle pass, you're it's a form of a sale, right? Mm. No, I know. You're heavily right. discounting well, your economy. That's yep, the second exactly. point. But yeah. yeah, that's the second point. So like, yeah, and then if, yeah, if you're removing the whale like behavior, if it's just whales that are buying the season pass and not spending insane amounts of money as they always do, then that's really bad for the economy. And so you can't rely. I think the danger is you can't rely upon it exclusively. I think unless you're like fucking Fortnite, right? So. Um, anyway, go ahead, Adam. Someone that's actually smart to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about myself, not you guys. <laughs> yes, I agree with what Joe just said. The conversion definitely goes up in a battle pass scenario. But as we've always said, it's still about spend depth after that fact, right? So even the numbers that they showed in this presentation, um, I'm not convinced that that tells me that they've, they've ruined their whale economy versus I'm sure if they showed those same numbers for Clash Royale, we would probably see actually a significantly lower dip, like or, or bigger dip in that um, uh, our people actually number, right? Their spend depth actually goes down because they impacted their economy so much in Clash Royale versus Clash of Clans. Would you agree with that, Joe? Yeah, and I think the other distinction to make is that Clash of Clans is a consumable-based economy versus Clash Royale, which is more of a gotcha economy. So you can max out but consumables theoretically if you design it right could be unlimited yeah like my, my sense is with clash royale they're actually running into almost the exact same issue that was talked about in this video right where by the end of like it, because of gotcha and the way that that works right by the time you're getting to the absolute end of that game right that you have very little agency and you have such a long path to make progress mm -hmm. and you're not earning nearly at the same rate that you were 
Um, so they almost have to be adding more progression tracks, just right. like almost a 4X game, giving some sort of linear additional progression tracks that matter in the core gameplay to give players at least a more linear goal. Yeah, and I, I think the problem with Clash Royale is like after level 13, it's they added the weird like cosmetic stuff. And so it's like, yeah, like, <laughs> they, they like cap their, their their progression depth. But anyway, they, I guess we're going a little off topic, but. Yeah, well, not really, because we're going to talk about how to level up your battle bass oh, okay. next, yeah. <laughs> right? So, all right. So our very own Alex McMillan, VP product at Social Point, um, wrote a wrote a piece i believe this was on on iron sources medium yep. uh, medium page oh level up shout out to level up medium um what is it medium blog how do you how do you say that shout yeah. out to level up iron source level up medium blog <laughs> yeah just search for iron source level up anyways uh so he talked about uh battle pass becoming a default monetization feature in mobile gaming across all categories. And he kind of had like three important points when it comes to when it comes to these questions you need to ask when uh, when I'm talking about battle pass monetization. So first one was what do uh, what day do most purchases occur? So what he means by that is not the weekday, but but the fact that the majority of, of buyers during the season have purchased the pass usually the day that the pass comes in. Um, and that and sort of like releasing an offer carries with this with it a sense of novelty which is in itself appealing and that novelty brings back the regular players so players who have been engaging with the game significantly who have much higher chance to convert and the passive boost in the path in in the pass in the battle pass incentivize regular players to convert early so the implication of this is to double down on the fact that most of your purchases occur soon after the the battle pass is released and he talked about incentivizing the conversion quickly. So putting in all those passive elements and all the, those you know cool elements in the beginning, maybe given a bonus if you purchase that earlier, as well as rewards that affect conversion into the early parts of, of, of the battle pass. So whether it's cool skins or those passive boosts, anything you do to kind of do, to kind of you know, support this natural behavior. The second point was at what point do most purchases of the battle pass occur? And, and here he talks about the free layer of battle pass and then the paid layer. And you basically analyze the percentage of players who haven't purchased a battle pass, but continue to reach battle pass milestones on the free version. So you start following those players who are still engaged with the game heavily, but have not converted. And you will notice that this percentage of those free players or the more engaged players uh, functions in a way of a reverse action, reverse, re reverse auction. Fuck, that's a hard word. Reverse auction. So, so in, in a way that as you progress through the free pass, as we all know it, you just collect all that kind of stuff that you can't take. But as soon as you turn it into premium, you collect everything that you've taken. So the implication of this question is to identify most relevant content by examining the purchase points later in the battle pass and strategically placing them on the pass and basically what you want to do is try to get the non-buyers to get to the end of the free battle pass um, and then provide that compelling reason for non-buyers to get to the end of the pass so basically what he's saying is because it's a reverse auction you should help the non-paying players to get as fast as as further as possible because they have accumulated so much rewards that they're more incentivized to convert and um, the third part was that it, ask the question of do you benefit from making it hard to progress in the past so this kind of continues from the last one and in some games 
off some games offer the opportunity to directly spend resources to get the next node in the battle pass and alternatively some games allow players to monetize indirectly to progress so uh, whether you're buying xp or battle pass xp to move further in the battle pass to earn those result rewards or whether you're spending premium currency to, to complete actions needed to get the points in the battle pass it has kind of two sources and and this basically means that there's an acquisition and progression source and what can you do if you see you don't monetize progression much you basically make it easier as he was saying to non-payers to complete and focus on rewarding so this is kind of touching on the completionists and the second part is to make it easier for payers to complete so basically adding uh, the boosters into uh, or selling the boosters for the battle pass and allowing them uh, basically monetizing the battle pass in addition to just selling the battle pass and he ends up with saying the battle pass is such a great monetization system because it monetizes engagement which is true all right uh, i think it was a really good article um three very interesting questions and my take in, in a way is, is a good, path, good battle pass is like a good subscription service. So uh, you need to provide access to unique content. It has to be something worthwhile, something you're not just buying normally. And, and in battle passes where you're just getting the same resources, kind of like just not enticing at all. Uh, the value proposition seems has to be simple. I know that there's a lot of battle passes now and even in Call of Duty where you have multiple different premium tiers and it's kind of confusing. Um, it has to be honest, so there's no you know tricks. It has to create that engagement loop, and then Battle Pass is one of the best ways to to further engage players, especially the ones that that have converted. Um, you have to have value um, that evolves over time, so giving better and better rewards, and and some Battle Passes do that, but not not all of them. And the final one was kind of celebrating those who purchase multiple uh, subscription passes, so multiple um, Battle Passes. Um, where I feel the most battle passes fail, and I, I play two games that that have, you know, battle pass, and that's Teamfight Tactics, uh, maybe the worst battle pass I've ever seen in my life. Um, I, I mean, I'm a fan of that game, but I, I don't even know what why I would I would pay for it. It's just I, I would rather they put in a donation button. I think that would do better. And but it's cosmic, uh, man. Like it's it's space themed. It's so it's, cool. It's the, it's the most bullshit I've ever seen in my life. Like you can't get even a, like a one skin uh, from the free, like the free pass is insulting and the premium pass is like worse than a normal free pass. So, th I mean, that's how I feel as a, as a, as a daily player. And, and yeah, anyway, and the second one is call of duty mobile. Uh, the game that, <laughs> that I do love and you, Eric hates uh, anyways. Um, that game kind of like it does give access to to unique content but it's just it's not enticing i, I ran through a couple of um a couple of battle passes and, and the stuff that you get it feels like it creates more work for you to just open up those boxes full of stuff you just don't need and that's that's honestly the feeling when, when playing call of duty mobile so i actually stopped paying for battle passes because i just got tired opening up boxes that were full of junk so I, you know just don't pay to you know anyways and you know issue is not in in my opinion is like which day or what point or how hard it is to to go through the battle pass uh the issue with with bad 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 battle passes is the content um i think skins are pretty weak in the end and i don't think i don't understand how they drive that repeat purchase like why would i have so many different skins and um 
and also that content is not lost when you when you don't subscribe to it so it just doesn't feel that unique um so yeah i anyways that's that's kind of like my, my my feeling that most important thing is the content of it uh, as as with the with the anos presentation and after that um you know there's there may be questions of, of how to monetize it better yeah just an aside it looks like i'm going to lose this bet to mr adam about uh, call of duty <laughs> really <laughs> oh i actually did it out and and i don't mean to contradict you i i, I haven't been playing or following it but their last season or their last yeah their last content drop just freaking exploded or maybe it's just related to something that i'm not going to say but um none, nonetheless they will likely do between 200 and 250,000 million in the first 12 months so really okay so the, um i'm assuming then that they're they managed to to keep you know a good core players and then this latest season of content or latest event just like had a big spike because yeah no no i mean so my my assumption was that these spikes would get lower and lower as time moved on but as people moved on to other games but it looks like you're exactly right they basically have maintained an audience and every time the the spike is actually getting well it got better this last one so if they can maintain that that's great but um yeah so it's it's doing well but it's still i mean well below <laughs> where people expected it to it yeah well to it's not a billion, billion dollars there right like <laughs> So, I don't mind being wrong on this one. <laughs> yeah, moving on. All right. Well, it's good to see Alex looking at different aspects of Battle Pass, like purchase behavior and timing. I think this is an aspect of Battle Pass that I haven't seen covered very much. I will probably disagree a little bit with Alex in terms of Battle Pass becoming a default monetization feature. I think it certainly shouldn't be because it doesn't make sense for all games. And I do think that as people get more experience with Battle Pass and see where it works and where it doesn't work. Uh, certainly in consumables-based economies, if you look at a game like 8-Ball Pool, makes a lot of sense for a lot of other games like gotcha-based games. It's very dicey. It's, it'll actually probably be very instructive to see what happens with Battle Pass in a game like Raid, for example. But um, I probably enjoyed the timing aspect of his post the most. It made me think about whether it may actually be worth it to try and time new Battle Pass season releases to, for example, something like Payday. So, you know, second Friday or last Friday of the month, which say for a monthly Battle Pass would be very unusual timing, but I don't know, may maybe it might increase conversion, but we'll, you know, we'll see. Uh, and then just probably one other note I have is just, uh, I'm actually going to try and organize a Battle Pass Zoom Hangout. So basically, we're going to try and get three to four speakers to talk about different aspects of Battle Pass on a Zoom call. So right now, we've got myself. Mishka, you're in, right? Are, are you speaking? Maybe. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, we got Alex. So uh, Alex from this article and Jeff Witt. And we'll try and go really deep on Battle Pass issues. So if you guys are interested in attending, uh, let me know. Feel free to DM for sure, attending that you Great. should get Ano in that one too. Okay, I'll I'll ask. I'll try. We'll see. <laughs> can you help me get him get him on? Somebody from Supercell is listening. Can you hook <laughs> us up with Ano, please? <laughs> All right, cool. Um, yeah, my my feedback is that obviously this was a very very strong blog post, um, and I, I just think it's kind of interesting hearing discussions and debate about adapting the battle pass, and like what I've always seen kind of come up and up again is certain aspects of it and trying to figure out how you adapt it to your own game, right? Like how long of a battle pass do you do? And I'm talking like 
monthly seasons with uh, a short amount of tiers or do you use something at the other end, which is like Dota with its yearly battle passes, which actually get 80% of the revenue from tier skips because they effectively have thousands of tiers and they allow players to actually compete with their tiers. There's a leaderboard of who has spent slash earned their way to the top of the battle pass. Um, and I think like Supercell, Fortnite get bigger spikes, but Dota has probably a better baseline. Um, in terms of the, the question that he poses around like incentivizing early purchasing, um, I think for most battle passes, they do progression boosts in the very like early tiers to kind of get you moving quicker. So it's a smart choice uh, to buy in as early as possible. But I think that only matters if you actually make your battle pass difficult to progress. Um, and just how difficult do you make it to progress, which uh, was good analysis here. Um, I just think keeping in mind each tier of the economy should be roughly equivalent to say the uh, time to hard currency ratio you actually set or at least discounted at the way you want. Otherwise you can get into situations where the battle pass is really the best um, uh, place to purchase those currencies. Um, do you offer tier skips? or do you monetize off players actually playing over skipping? And he touched on this lightly, but I think sometimes for cosmetic economies, um, you, you really wanna monetize off of, off of these tier skips because you can't monetize off of regular engagement. And how do you actually avoid battle passes becoming content treadmills? Um, this is really a major issue with cosmetic focused battle passes, not so much say consumable focused battle passes. But I think most teams don't realize like just how many cosmetics you have to produce and at the quality level in order to have an effective 100 tier battle pass. And most teams can't produce that much content every two to three months. And even to try to pull it into one month, like a supercell is just not possible. Um, one thing that uh, came up here, uh, uh, Mishka, I wouldn't say that battle passes should be about access to unique content. It should be more about the endowed progress effect and should the rewards need to be valuable enough, but I don't think it's about the unique cosmetics. Um, these like just, just battle passes in general can be just as powerful with extremely rare resources, but I don't think it's about extremely unique mm -hmm. cosmetics. That's not, I, I, I was, I was not thinking that much about unique cosmetics, but in a way like, like what really would get me back to the games to battle pass in the games that I play would be an element that would allow me to play the game maybe in a different way or in different modes if I'm a Battle Pass user. So for example, if COD would have certain levels that are only for Battle Pass players, that would keep me in the Battle Pass already. That's what I meant. Certain like levels, access. you mean like, like a mode? Mm, if mode or just even just new maps. Like if, if, if you know... Yeah, but, then, but then you get into the content locking problem and... and, mm -hmm. and um, matchmaking issues because now you split your player base. Like, like personally, I'm very much against using subscriptions to lock content because I think free to play in general has kind of proven that locking content, uh, like locking engagement behind these paywalls is not the right approach. We should be trying to maximize for engagement and then monetize off of engagement. That's why I would rather not lock modes to it. I would rather say like certain weapons or perks are available only to battle pass owners, right? Or you do things like Dota where they actually give access to um, uh, basically like a, a coach which looks at the, your play style and gives mm -hmm. you suggestions and gives oh, you- Oh shit, like live that's what I would pay in TFT. That's what I would pay. They need to put that ASAP into TFT. Yeah, I need like a coach who looks how I play. identify what's going on in the meta and also yes. looks at your play style. And I yeah, the item builds and everything. Yes. Yeah. Hey, Riot, how about that? 
<laughs> I'm pretty sure Riot is aware of that. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. how about implementing it? Like, come on. <laughs> All right. I, I just I, I want to clarify my positioning on this stuff because I do think that battle passes are really interesting and 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 effective in in many ways. And I think I don't know, Adam. What do you think? But like, I think on console, this could be a mechanism by which you can monetize the unmonetizable, right? In some ways, rewarding engagement by offering you know different types of content. I think that's kind of interesting. I think where I'm a little bit disconnected here is that I don't think it could be the sole, you know, monetization design for free to play mobile separately, right? So Unless you're, you're Fortnite. Right. What? Yeah, like I definitely agree with you that battle passes could be a way to open up a lot of the console games to effective monetization, but they still need spend depth after the fact, right? Um, and I think like if you look at Destiny 2's battle pass when they implemented theirs, right? They're already introducing things like crafting currencies, et cetera, stuff that they would never sell outside of the shop, but players are actually accepting it being within the battle pass, right? So now you're actually implementing things like new armor and new weapons that are inside the battle pass you can't get anywhere else. Um, and that really drives players to the battle pass. The problem with uh, Destiny is that they basically do the yearly pass model, right? So you buy into Shadow Keep once, and then I'm done for the entire year. I don't have to buy any more battle passes. I don't have to do anything more. I just have to come back and right. So Division is Division Two has a battle pass that was free. I think this time around with buying the expansion, but the presumption obviously is they're going to come out with a new um, battle pass in the next couple of weeks or months. I think. Um, and what was my point? Oh, what I think is cool about that is it does it does you know could improve engagement and bring people back to the game potentially yeah. on a game that's relatively dead or was dead before they released this expansion so anyway i um i will only say that over time though there will be somebody that fucks this up right like somebody will do the ea battlefront 2 thing and basically put a whole bunch of like gameplay impacting stuff in there oh right right like, like pace it so it's ridiculous to actually earn anything right. and then get a whole ton of backlash and then everybody will be off battle passes for a while. Right. So anyway, <laughs> what, what I was going to say is that, um, so what we really need to see evidence of is improved uh, conversion. So I, I hear what he's saying about the four times monthly payers on in Supercell, but that didn't really translate to the dollars, right? I mean, not not according to Sensor Tower. So if if indeed we are like, 20 30 percent improving conversion you know i mean that that could be huge for this business you know because that's the biggest challenge right um is is conversion at least in the west so um i guess we'll see how what kind of impact they have going forward to raid and other games i'd like to talk to the raid guys hey where when am i going to get an intro to the raid guys uh you just want okay. that free currency <laughs> Today? <laughs> I, I actually stopped my crack addition to raid. I, I I I spent too much money. I had enough. Moving on. Okay. I moved on. Travis Scott's Fortnite event draws record audience by NPR. So last Thursday, rapper Travis Scott broke an all-time record for an in-game event with 12.3 million concurrent players that attended that event in Fortnite. So the virtual concert had Travis Scott appear as a big virtual giant inside of the game and he performed his concert including the debut of a new song and it, this lasted for about 10 minutes as many of you are also aware last year fortnite also had a performance with marshmallow that also brought a million of millions of watchers and they also had a massive kaiju robot versus sea monster battle event as well and also in a separate article published by rolling stone they also noticed 
uh, noted that Travis Scott saw an immediate bump in listeners as soon as Epic announced the event, even ahead of the in-game concert itself with streams spiking by 26% and some songs even jumping over 50% just ahead of the Fortnite show. In my own social feeds, I saw a lot of people who said they really loved the event and especially when those same people were connected to key people at Epic on those social channels, but I watched a bit of some of the YouTube video recaps and it actually looked really cool. Now, there are some people who point to this as an example of the metaverse. I mean, we touched upon this last week. I personally wouldn't <laughs> call it that, but- <laughs> I The think metaverse. Have... What's that? The metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think we have to give props to Epic for pushing the envelope here. They're doing some really cool stuff and pretty badass as far as innovation goes. I know we've criticized them on this podcast for a few things, but definitely have to give them credit when credit is due. And so this was pretty dope. Uh, congrats to those guys. Yeah, I watched this with my son. I mean, it was truly, really epic, real time. And when you're in game and you're navigating and running around, it's much cooler than watching the video too, because it's just so big, you know, and, and such a huge event. And it was so much better than the marshmallow event in a sense, a lot of ways. I mean, just more epic in general, but also I think they did it at multiple times so that more people could actually see it. Um, so, uh, so they have had it run a few times in the last couple, last week or so. So I, I do recommend that everyone should watch it. And I'm not going to suggest this is the metaverse thing, but it's a great example of a, of a, of a live you know, event within a virtual world. So, I mean, in some sense it is, kind of key, <laughs> akin to what would happen in a, in, a, in a metaverse type situation. So anyway, very, very cool. But the next article, not so cool. <laughs> so Epic uh, gives into Google and releases Fortnite on the Play Store. And some of the uh, headlines were really funny about this, like just <laughs> he capitulated. You know? So anyway, Tim, Sweeney and Epic, uh, and 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 Google evidently tied the knot, you know, and all the kvetching he had about the 30%. And uh, he put his game back on Google and gave up to the man. Um, so there's one of two things that happened here. One is he folded like a deck of cards, right? Or two, he got some kind of sweetheart, sweetheart deal from Google that he can't talk about. So I really honestly don't know. Uh, I, I, I find it hard to believe that Google would do this after after he created so much hubbub about it. But anyway, that's my, I think he just folded, right? Realized that it's really a challenge to, um, to get your content out there when it's not on the world's largest store, right? And so I was gonna give you a quote of what he said uh, and, and the hypocrisy of it all, but I, I, I'm not, so <laughs> gonna do that. But anyway, my whole point on this is, is this, is that Google and Apple create a platform that allows a easy user experience for an install base of close to 3.5 billion, okay? You know, and, and, and when you think about it, what are the alternatives of that, right? You have different OSs for every manufacturer. You have different OSs for every carrier. I mean, can you imagine building 200 SKUs for every country carrier and phone manufacturer out there? Oh, wait. You can, because that's what happened during the feature phone era, and it was a freaking nightmare, right? And so now 30% may be too high in some worlds, but the fact is that they are creating an amazing uh, uh, yeah, platform for you to create content for. And so now may, if, if you take the 30%, like usually you get like a retail 
percentage and then now like a little bit of extra technology and gen generally retail is about 20% and you add another 5% or 10% for technology and you're kind of there, right? 30% kind of makes sense. Um, but on, on a side note, um, what I don't understand about this is why is it that Tinder and anybody who can answer this question for me, because I've asked many people and no one seems to understand it either. How can Tinder and Netflix transact off the store and, and, and why wouldn't they allow something like Fortnite to do that as well? That's what I don't understand. Like what makes Tinder and Netflix so special <laughs> on a relative basis um, that, that, that they allow that, but not Fortnite. So I don't know. Anybody have any ideas on that one? I actually think games can, it's just, they don't. But I think the difference with Tinder and Netflix is that they have such a strong web presence. It's easier to kind of shift them to web and have them pay on web. But I don't think there's any specific restriction as far as I know, but I, I could be wrong on that. But Tinder is basically going against the terms of service at Google. They don't do this for Apple, right? But no, Google on, just allows on, on Apple, for example, like if, if you wanna, if you wanna buy like an Audible book or you know Netflix, they're gonna send you off off the store, right? You're gonna purchase that on web and then you get the credits in your- I get it, app. but Tinder doesn't have a web counterpart, right? Tinder is just- Oh, they don't? Oh yeah, I- I don't think so. I'm not on anyway, Tinder. Anyway, I, I, any, I don't think anybody on this podcast knows anything about Tinder. <laughs> Eric seemed to know pretty quick. <laughs> just kidding. Hey, I have a twin brother who's divorced, right? I fucking- <laughs> Everyone thinks I'm I'm out there cheating, right? Because they look exactly the same. So I've had to deal with Tinder quite a bit. <laughs> you may have a tw twin brother. That's unconfirmed. <laughs> exactly. Um, anyway, I, I, anybody that has a really intelligent understanding of this situation, I would love to hear kind of exactly how that works. Because I get it. These guys are huge. Tinder and Netflix are massive, right? So they have a lot of leverage, but it doesn't seem like they're, you know, they're back bowing down to, um, to leverage. And I have talked to, actually asked a specific question to Google people, no one answers me. <laughs> so I don't know, they, they don't wanna talk about it. Anyway, that's all I got on this. I think Tim Sweeney folded like a deck of cards and they realized that it's much easier to publish on Google and they're gonna likely pay the 20, 30% and like it. That's, that's what I think right. happened. And I, I think that the overall implication is pretty clear. You can't get around Google on Android and if, Epic and Fortnite can't do it. Nobody else can. I mean, it's just impossible. <laughs> so, and I still don't see them reducing this percentage anytime soon either. I, I, I just don't. It makes no sense for them to do that, right? Maybe they. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Every time I think about it, like I get it. Like everyone wants them to do it, but that doesn't mean they should, right? Or or they have to. I mean, they. And yeah, and I think you know, to your point, like the fact that Fortnite caved, like. <laughs> I think that's a real testimony to don't expect uh, them to reduce it anytime soon. Yeah. Anyway, uh, all is right in the world. Okay. Yeah. And I think with that, I think that's it. Unless there's anyone else got anything else? Last message for our audience. Joe, did you finish Final Fantasy yet? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually <laughs> playing uh uh, Warcraft 3 <laughs> Reforged, I, I finally what? went back in. So I'm mainly playing that. And then I actually downloaded Journey, which is, you know, free on PlayStation. So I've been uh, been playing Journey with my kids. So okay. yeah, I have to, I'll get to Final Fantasy 7 probably much later. Okay. <laughs> budget your time, man. Got to budget your time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, All right. I think that's it. All right, have a good week. All right, see you later. Bye.
Bye.